will fix you. Hail and a Luthercalian greeting on this, our most festal episode of We Will Fix You. Take comfort in the howling, and don't forget to stroke the thick silken pelt of your most loved one. Hello. Joining me as ever, we have, to solve your problems, myself, Roger Hart, macrame instructor pursuivant. Lucy, who is still enthralled to the wine wit. <laughs> and Dave, several impressive buildings. Good evening. Our question today, romantic though the season may be, is is a sadder question, a more a more thoughtful one. For not all relationships are everything we would wish them. Not all have received the full howling blessing of the pack. I will read it. Hello. I've got a difficult one for you. How do you convince somebody you love that they're in a terrible or even dangerous relationship? Sometimes all the evidence can be there that someone is cheating on their partner, say, or has repeatedly hospitalized them, but the person just refuses to see that there's anything wrong. It's so frustrating to be on the sidelines watching this, especially when you can see your loved one being humiliated or, or even physically hurt. What did other people find push them over the edge to finally see the truth and get out of a bad relationship? What, if anything, can loved ones say to make them see the light when even concrete evidence is drowned out with la la la, I can't hear you? Thank you. Holly. So, Miss Boys, hmm. thoughts? So I guess thinking about it, I kind of, you know, my brain is a flowchart to some extent and I, I sort of see this as a kind of four-stage escalation process with a, with a kind of smear of self-care underneath it. So if something like this is happening to your friend to begin with, you can do the kind of active good faith friendship trying to help with the situation, which mostly means sort of talking to them about it, offering any kind of constructive or practical support that they can think of or you can think of that would help. What you need for this to work is for them to broadly acknowledge that something bad is happening and possibly even to ask for that help. And I think the problem with it is the dynamics of abuse make it so that this can take an extremely long time and be very, very frustrating on the part of everyone involved. But I mean, if you can get mileage out of that, that's a really good thing to do. I think after that, there's the point where you realise you can't help because your friend is just too bought into not wanting to deal with this, but you can do the thing of choosing not to normalise or rationalise the abuse. So I mean, it's not a comparable romantic situation, but I know of someone who's in a sort of, I guess sort of mildly emotionally abusive work situation with their boss, and they kind of have a bit of a martyr complex themselves anyway. and. It just means they say things like, I had to do X bad and unreasonable work thing, blah, 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 this was bad for me. And people push back and say, you know that's really bad, you shouldn't have to do that. And they just kind of try and shove that under the carpet, like they want to talk about it, but they don't want to do any of the talking about it that actually deals with it. And I think the best thing you can do if you're in that kind of situation is just absolutely refuse to join in when they're normalising the situation, to, to, to be the person standing on the outside saying, no, you can't shove... I mean, you can try and shut them under the carpet, but that's not reasonable, that's not fair, that's not how things should be happening. You know, you, you don't have to be complicit in them trying to say that there's not a problem when there clearly is a problem. 
And then I think the stage after that is the point where you let them know that you're there for them and can help them if they want to acknowledge it, but otherwise you just don't really engage in that, mostly to preserve your own sanity, because by this point you've tried explicitly helping and you've tried saying this is not okay even though you're not cool with me helping and now you're saying I will help you if you find yourself in a position where that's a thing that you're able to acknowledge that you want or that you need but in the meantime for my own sanity I need to take a step back and I think the final step is is the total detachment for your own sanity without even the promise of help and I think I mean I know a lot of people on the other side say that they've left abusive relationships and found they had no friends back, friends afterwards and again I think this comes out of that dynamic of abuse where there's a huge amount of sort of pressure on the part of the person it's happening to to make it seem normal, make it seem okay, make it seem like it's not happening. There's a huge amount of control, specifically psychological control on the part of the abuser and all of that means that people on the outside are left so frustrated that they kind of end up drifting away from that friendship for the duration of the abuse. And isolating people from their friends can be a a sort of very strong tactic in that kind of coercion and control scenario. Absolutely. Which makes it very difficult, especially as a if you're a friend that is seeing that happen, then there's a potential risk of you getting into conflict with an abuser in that situation, yeah. which could be quite bad for your safety. Yes, definitely. I mean, I've been reading the sort of the Captain Awkward archives on abuse, which are very, very good. It's um, it's just a keyword that you can click on on the site and it takes you to kind of everything she's dealt with that's under that category and. She was saying the amount of letters she gets where they say, I know he'd never be violent, but, and there is no, just, that is not a guarantee when you're dealing with an abuser, and Mm. that's true whether you're the person being abused or whether you're someone who's trying to step in. Someone who will do that to your friend in the context of a relationship will almost certainly have very few qualms about trying to manipulate you as well, which, as you say, is potentially dangerous sort of area effect gaslighting really that sort of pervasive <laughs> pervasive insistence that everything is normal or that the situation is not as it appears yes and then the the smear of self-care that comes under underneath all of that which i think can apply to any and all of those stages i've just described is therapy for yourself detachment healthy relationships in other places people you can go to where it's not that dynamic and either it's a happier dynamic or it's a place for you to process that dynamic And I think being as understanding as you can, learning as much about how abuse works as you can so that you can kind of spot and unpick particular things, but ultimately finding some way of being okay with the fact that you've got fairly limited agency in a really horrible situation, that's probably the hardest one to do, but I think it's necessary to not fuck yourself up in the process. I entirely agree with that. I found this this very difficult, um, and I don't really have have a lot to sort of say on on the subject beyond beyond a few interjections. There's that thing of managing yourself where you can't manage the world, and we we, we talk about that quite a lot, actually. I think in context of dealing with horrible things. But the sort of few times I've been anywhere near anything that felt even slightly like this, the the hardest thing was staying available whilst acknowledging that you can't. Yeah. Well, maybe there are some interventions you can make, but they're small and they're constrained and they're not low risk. And Mm. that's a really hard coping problem. And no one wants to feel like they're making it about them, but that's also not emotionally trivial. Mm. I very much like your suggestion of educating yourself about Mm -hmm. the situation as much as you possibly can. Um, Not least because that really gets us off the hook for having to educate our entire audience. I mean, we can provide some references. There's a book called Why Does He Do That? I can't Mm. remember the name of the author, but that's meant to be... I haven't read it myself, but Mm. it's meant to be the sort of gold standard for controlling relationships. I mean, it's sort of 
it sounds like it's pitched fairly hetero, but it's not explicitly. Also, The Gift of Fear is another one that comes up. Those two are both very highly recommended for abuse situations and learning more about the dynamics and how it works. We'll put links to those on the show page. Mm. A while ago, I, this did make me think of a thing, which is a while ago I did a little bit of work, just like an afternoon's volunteering, basically doing tech support, for a very small um, local charity who I don't think exists anymore. I tried to look them up having forgotten their name, and I just haven't been able to track them down. Maybe you just took their website down. Oh gosh, I hope not. Um, but what they did was uh, sort of focus groups and counselling and support for men who either wanted to stop being abusive or feared they might become abusive. Mm which is the kind of support service that not a lot of people talk about. And I don't want to do a kind of wow, wow, what about the men's on this one? Like, but that strikes me as a, as a potentially significant gap in care provision in these scenarios. Well, I think also there's a lot of sort of abusers are inherently bad and it's something innate about them and you can't fix it mm-hmm. mentality around, which I think is in a lot of cases not true. I mean, I know that sort of within my own relationship there are certain power imbalances that mean I want to keep a really strong check and make sure I'm not drifting over the line into abuse sometimes just because I'm aware of that and I mean I think it's great being aware of that not everyone's aware of that but I don't think some abusers are born probably some are made some happen by circumstance I don't know as someone with an occasionally quite forceful personality and a really quite shy and retiring partner I worry about Mm. that myself on occasion um but yeah finding out that sort of organizations like that exist uh and there are at least a couple that we might be able to sort of dig out and pop in the show notes. I did find a couple that weren't the one I was thinking of, but that do provide similar support. Made me think that there's, I don't know, I would, this would be an extremely hard intervention to make, sort of recommending welfare services to someone you suspect to be, or someone you, you suspect or know to be perpetrating abuse. It would be really hard to do that, and it's not like you can just leave a leaflet lying around without it being crazy obvious, but... Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to treat in the way that some similar things are hard to treat because you really need kind of acknowledgement and buy-in on the part of the person that something's yeah. going wrong, and that's sort of the antithesis of the controlling mindset. Yes. I did wonder if these if sort of services like that might have interesting, uh, might have interesting advice, but, uh, yeah. It's also difficult to engineer if people are living together. You don't have that opportunity. You don't have easy opportunities to interject mm. or mm. without going down the full... We are having an intervention path, which is, you know, which is kind of an all or nothing approach. Mm. But if someone is controlling in that way and is controlling of um, controlling of someone's time in that way, Mm. then it can be very difficult to actually get to the point where you can interject. Mr. Conbury, did you have any uh, any thoughts? I took a look back at at, um, a situation with a friend from a few years ago. Uh, where actually living together at the time and their partner was emotionally abusive I don't think physically abusive but definitely emotionally abusive I sort of went went back over that in my mind and looked at things that were useful and, and that worked badly um, to take a, a real world look at it from the point of view of someone who's done this as from a well-intentioned but not particularly well-informed um, view and, and to see how, how well we did. The friend of mine was single uh, after the end of an incredibly tumultuous relationship which had sort of stripped away a lot of their um, self-esteem and after a while of period of mourning they went and tried internet dating 
And there were a series of knockbacks which didn't help because it's internet dating. You see someone once in a mid-range restaurant and... You have a nice chat with them and then they've decided they're yeah. moving in with the person they were talking to before you. It's, yeah, it's a numbers game, yeah. largely, but that's hard when you've got emotion invested in it as well. Yeah. I mean, there's no way of... There's, you can't do that in a completely abstract way. There's, yeah. there's no way it's, it's going to feel like a judgment. And if you're already down as this person was... If memory serves, this is also what the best part of well, a long time ago, probably before internet dating was quite so normalised. Yes, I think mm. so. This is certainly this is certainly pre Tinder and OkCupid. Okay this was sort of quite specialist. Yeah. Um, I think also as an aside here, it's very easy when you're in a good place to remember that, like a job interview, a sort of early stage relationship dating thing is a two way street, and you want to find a really good fit. But when you're not maybe in the greatest shape, it's very easy to take everything extremely personally, see everything that doesn't work out as a sign from the universe that you're undeserving of love mm. and all of that bad shit. It's hard to be as objective as you'd like to be when you're actually doing it. It's also possible to latch on to a lunatic, as happened in this case. Oh. Um, and I think it was, it was apparent very, very early on that they were not good together. Mm. Like, they fought a lot and... Um, just sort of sniped at one another but at that point you know we weren't saying anything because that's sort of that's normal for some relationships even and that's also it's sort of your problem crap, at that but point it's not my it doesn't become you as the friend's problem until things get quite a lot worse than that no so it was I mean it was it was bad but it wasn't I think the fact that they were in a relationship and felt valued in that way um, meant that it outweighed the bad stuff. Mm. And in that sort of first flush, you, as a friend, you want to try and feel good for them. Yes, and, you know, much rather it worked. Mm. Um, that, you know, they overcome differences in personality and what have you and work their way towards a functional relationship like sensible adults, which is absolutely not how this worked. And eventually it became more and more obvious that they were deeply unhappy. Mm. At that point you know i was i was there in the house all the time anyway so wound up talking about this and gradually just sort of as you said make myself available to talk about mm -hmm. this in particular depth this is where it diverges in in or there's something i'd like to focus on which is that the the partner had largely moved in at this point as well which meant that i had to deal with it day and night which I didn't enjoy because they were an absolute fucking shit gibbon. Um, just an awful wretch of a human being. Just fundamentally amoral, callous, and cruel person. Damn. Yeah. Not, not good people. Not, not good people. Not the kind of person you want your friend going out with. No. But for the first stages of the very long process of saying, maybe this isn't the best thing for you, I really focused on that. The fact that this shit given was being demonstrably and obviously cruel for their own ends. Mm. Um, that they were being emotionally manipulative in quite, a, quite an obvious fashion. 
And again, this is the sort of the benefit of being outside of the situation. This is the sort of the not normalising the abuse part where you get to step outside and say, you know when they keep doing that thing where they're tearing you down in front of your friends all the time, that's not normal and that's yes. not good and that's obviously fucking undermining you. Yes, these are designed controlling behaviours. And you, But you tried that, it sounds like, that sort of straight-talking, head-on approach. I think that's a... I think that's being a little bit too kind to me. I vented my frustrations at this fuckwit. Mm. Like, why are they in? Why are they in my house? And why are they doing this to my friends? Which is reasonable concerns to be having, right? It's, it's understandable, but what you're doing when you do that is that you are triggering defensiveness in the other person. Mm. Because not only do they want to defend the person whom they may well love they also want to defend their own decision-making yep. and the sunk yeah. costs. Yeah. I'm not making shitty choices by being here. Stop telling me I'm making shitty choices by being here. This the, seems totally fine and legit. This is everything I want, right? Exactly. With a side of, don't you understand, this is my one chance of feeling love. Precisely. Which is never, ever true. Life is long. And that was the main issue. We were getting absolutely nowhere um, talking about, you know, this person and their behaviours. But once we started looking at the underlying fear and neurosis on the part of my friend um, to see what, you know, the things that, that were really sort of forcing them to embrace this behaviour or accept it as the cost of doing business mm. in this case. Then we started to actually get somewhere. Mm. And it, there was, you know, we were still talking until five in the morning about this stuff, but it, a, a lot more progress was made when... I took my emotions about the thing out of what I was saying and started to focus on what they actually wanted, um, what particular what particular drives were actually keeping them in that mm. relationship, and starting to address those, looking at where they're fundamentally irrational. Mm -hmm. as, I mean, you two have both sprung back in your seats and yelled, that doesn't ever happen. Mm. That suggests it's an irrational behavior. <laughs> But but really sort of focusing on that and taking taking aside any loathing you presumably feel for the person doing this to your friend. Mm -hmm. That just seems to me, from from experience in this case and others, being a much more productive way of, of dealing with this thing. And I should state fairly clearly that this is just, this is in the case of emotional abuse, I think in the case of physical abuse and where there are actual threats to immediate safety. Um, there are other steps you should take, and I yeah, think we'll, we'll approaches. write some of that out mm. rather than discuss it now. Yeah, I, for my part, I've been lucky, and I've never had never to have to encounter a situation where that I know of where a friend was was suffering suffering physical abuse. The the more emotional stuff. I think you've got a very solid point there with the the likelihood to hitch a certain amount of their self esteem to the partner and to the selection process such that, yeah, you, you are just going to trigger defensive responses quite easily. Um, I think also going back to your point about taking your own emotion, negative emotion towards the partner out of it, because it's so easy for that to come across as, I hate your boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, I hate your shitbag person who's abusing you, and the person to hear it as, they don't like my partner for blah, and that means it's us against the world, which then draws mm. them further into the 
complicity of abuse with the person who's abusing them because everybody else hates them because they don't understand how great they are even though that's also kind of being a huge dick to me yeah yeah I've encountered some of that um when when they eventually split up, I should say that it didn't take immediately, and there was some uh, shilly shallying back and forth. Yes, but eventually, the fundament, the underlying facts didn't change, and fundamentally, it it was resolved in a sane and appropriate way. Hmm. And your friend is happier now. Much good. Yes, now happily, as far as I know, married to someone who is not awful. Mm. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's that was, that was the intended outcome. So, This is something I really, really struggled with. Um, I, I was attempting to prime a sort of flippant answer. I was going to do a, a sort of series of gags about toxic relationships in art and literature. Mm. Um, you know, I had a riff up my sleeve about how terrible Friends is. Um, it is terrible, though. It is, remember it is, that. It is quite bad. Genuinely terrible. Um, and is the worst mm. but it came out very hopeless because I realised that there's a lot of a lot of the instantiations of this stuff in popular culture normalise it so horribly mm. and don't show positive exit paths yes the person either ends up having a really really horrible time that's dangerous to them with their abuser and then leaves them grudgingly or ends up marrying their abuser because a marriage is also a good narrative happy ending in fiction Jane Eyre Pamela <laughs> to the lighthouse. Quite apart from my, my joke having fallen on its ass, meaning I don't get to spend five minutes going off on one about how awful Stephen Moffat's episodes of Doctor Who are, it kind of, uh, there's a thing there about if you're trying to find positive models, it's actually quite hard. Well, the trouble, the trouble with sort of mainstream media portrayals of relationships is that they only take into account an extremely narrow slice of human emotion mm. and human experience and then that's what a bunch of extremely impressionable young people model their thoughts on life on mm. um, also I mean, narrative drama is inherently grounded in tension yes you no. need conflict relationships are mostly conflict in fiction because that's what drives a plot and that's what keeps you hooked and that is so actually far from true in good yeah. positive relationships in the real world but you don't get those modelled very much in my experience there are heady broth of indifference and sex <laughs> mine's more like leek and potato soup but yeah. because it involves a stick blender yeah this is honestly a more difficult topic to be glib about than most yeah it turns out it's really hard to get genuinely funny jokes out of domestic violence <laughs> I think we should uh, well I don't know have you told that to 1970s comedy oh I think so one more thing I would like to say I guess on the topic is that the cultural model of an abuser is a man who is punching a woman and I think another thing the internet particularly in its sort of advice sections sprawled all over it is showing us is that is just categorically not true and I think even particularly with emotional abuse yes. it is as likely to come from a woman it is possible to come from someone who does not identify their gender on the binary you know it's any person can abuse. It is not just a thing that men do to women. Abuse in same-sex relationships is poorly covered in media representation. There are charities and help groups. There is there is support out there. Yeah. Um, Broken Rainbow do a lot of a lot of good Such work. A there. It's a terrible name. name. <laughs> um, there's um, there are large directories of sort of services and resources. Um, but yeah, the the mental prototype of some sort of 
snarling, big-fisted brute is... A hulking working-class man, essentially. Is only part of it. Yes. The tip of the iceberg. And we should also probably point out that, you know, it's not just romantic relationships where people do Mm. the emotional abuse. Pretty much any time you get people together, there's the possibility for that to happen. Any situation... Friendships. Deeply unhealthy friendships. Families. You know, the amount of control the parents have over their children. If they're the wrong... If they're wired wrong, they've got the wrong trigger points, that can go really bad. Yeah. What we're saying is abuse is horrible and it's everywhere. Yeah, and we've had some experience with varying degrees of success looking at it. We've dug out some resources, we'll put some in the show notes. That particular note at the end of at the end of the question, um, what did other people find pushed them over the edge to finally see the truth and get out of a bad relationship is is just really the hardest part and I think our kind of various sort of sniffings around this mm. have suggested that's hugely variable and it's just probably going to be a long haul. Um, Although I think Mr Conroy's point about trying as sort of emotionlessly as you can mm. to determine those specific triggers that are keeping the person in the situation yeah. is really helpful there because it is going to be different for everyone but it you still can maybe have a productive conversation about that no matter what the trigger is maybe maybe i think there's probably a lot that you can do there with standard coaching techniques almost just mm. the, the sort of why what would you do if i think the the, the reversal what would you do if if I was in your situation and you were in mine, what would you do if it was your friend who's, you know, was was saying all of this to you? Mm. Sometimes it sometimes can be an eye opener for some people. It doesn't work for everyone, but there we have it. Really, it's it's big and it's messy, and we've certainly not been our usual jaunty selves. But uh, well, it's really really hard, and it's really really painful. And it's hard for the exact same reasons that it's happening a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, which is hard. and it's complex. Yeah, and I think it's a very quick overview, but I'm talking like very late nights over a month, maybe longer. Mm. Just talking them down. Mm. My recollection from knowing you at that point was that was a very very trying period and required a phenomenal emotional commitment from you. Yeah, and not everyone is able to make that. And it's also it's Nor okay they to, have to yes it's right. okay to be okay with yourself if you are if you know that you can't do that and to find other ways to try and deal with that tension for mm. yourself. Knowing that you can't fix someone else's very very hard problem does not make you a bad person at all. On this show, you will find that we uh, we sing the self care song hard enough and loud enough and often enough that we do by now expect you to join in at the chorus. Brush your teeth, have a wank, it is good for you. That is the chorus.